So, what do you think of the video? Any thoughts, initial reactions, uh, feelings? Um, yes? Please say your name. Um, Anya. Anya. Um, I really like the contrast between like the chaotic energy when you're in the city and you're in the streets, and then suddenly that's contrasted by like suddenly coming above that and then looking at everything. It looks so peaceful and calm. And I really like the, the contrast between the two. Mm -hmm. And um, the, within the streets, like uh, driving through the city, like um, uh, I love for me personally was how we every day navigate and travel wherever you are, right? Every day you navigate somewhere and you're traveling and you are breaking boundaries because you're either going somewhere to, for the first time or it's a routine of where you go and you know your route kind of vibe. Um, any other thoughts? You can pick on anyone. Everyone gives your thoughts about this video. Ah. Pick mm -hmm. on anyone that you want to see. Yes. Um, Please say your name first. Nina. I'm Nina. Hi, Nina. Um, I thought I um, very liked the music. Um, the sound was beautiful. Um, the cities have shown a really big, um, yeah, the obstacle African cities. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm Jared. Hi, Jared. Um, what, was that a compilation of different cities or was it just one? It's one city. Which city do you think it is? Lagos. Yes. Um, and yeah. what did you think of the compilation of the different uh, routes in Lagos? It was very cool to see the, the street view compared to, um, like Anya was saying, the like, contrast of the the busy streets and then the like aerial views, it was really cool. Um, but yeah, like the streets, they look wild, they look so busy. It's, it's crazy to like navigate through there. I feel like you, you need someone to kind of guard you if you've never been there before. And um, what makes you feel that like you would need a guide to take you through those streets if you haven't been there before? Just like. It just looks like so busy and there's so much happening. I feel like it could get like, very overwhelming almost. Okay, okay, cool. So I played uh, the video uh, just to start off, just to showcase that people travel every day and it's not traveling to America or whatever that counts as travel. Coming here today is a travel experience and it's important to understand that for me and uh, for people to understand as well that um, travel is not something that you do to go to another space, but travel is something that we do daily and something that um, is represented in different ways, right? So people have different perceptions of what travel is. Um, if you look at the past, if you look at the future, there's like futuristic models of like what travel means, what travel uh, has been, but like for me, the most important thing is travel now because that is what is shaping how people will travel tomorrow, influenced by how people used to travel. So like, I thought like, we would start there just to showcase like, um, really within one of the, like, I think one of my favorite destinations in Africa, it's really interesting how 
uh, people navigate on a daily basis and how uh, my conversations with people that stay there is really interesting for me. And um, with that, uh, I thought we'd start by exploring your roots, like each and every one of us through tourism, what that means, and explore um, where we come from, essentially, because we come from somewhere and those people came from somewhere and that is a journey and they traveled either from A to B or were displaced from A to B and uh, tourism has been a vehicle to explore those opportunities and uh, I really I found this uh, really interesting quote by a theorist named, well I have never heard of him up until uh, yesterday but he says that to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul in the sense that um, for me uh, you need to root yourself somewhere and for me as an African and as a Zimbabwean I'm rooted in land, I'm rooted in my community, I'm rooted in things I find really interesting, I'm rooted in the history that makes me who I am today. I'm rooted in the idea of what it means to travel now, but also to explore what uh, the future of tomorrow might look like. So like my route is uh, more of like exploring within myself to actually travel across time, to travel back in time, and to travel now. So I don't know if uh, anyone can share like um, what is rooting them currently so like what roots you currently what uh, grounds you I don't know if that's the word any takers okay you can pick on that one <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, me at least it's like my community and the people that I can like share my life with, so being a space like with friends, family, like I think to me that's like where your roots are. Yeah. Anyone else? Can it be like an activity? It can be anything you want it to be. So for me it would be yoga. Mm. Um, yeah. I have an actually there. Uh, I would say like for me I feel rooted like in comparison to like my surroundings when I compare myself. I can like replace myself like, even in comparison to nature. I'm like, oh, like, oh, I'm actually this small place, like this huge tree or forest or something. Okay, cool. Interesting. Like, um, I was going to read a passage. I don't know if you guys read the chapter. How many people read the chapter? Hands up. Uh, uh, for the guys who raised their hands, uh, what did you think of the, of the chapter? before I read my favorite part. Go on. I thought it was quite interesting um, to read because a lot of it I didn't really know until, yeah, until like reading about it now. But I wanted to ask the guy that speaks, I forgot, like, I forgot the person's name, like, Google, is like this short, um, this short name, I think it begins with an H, who kind of like, um, instigated a lot of the changes do you know who that was, or like, like who it was written about, like from the perspective of? 
Uh, the, the, the chapter? Yeah. Okay, so the chapter is a social history of uh, the Kruger National Park. So that's the genesis of the whole book. So the specific chapter is referenced across different uh, people that have written about traveling within the Kruger, the formation of the Kruger, and how people interacted within the Kruger. Um, and I will read from, I think it's page 119. And it's really interesting like how, um, based on the roots and how people were displaced within the Kruger and this network of travel developed through displacement, right? And um, they say that uh, it is the business of this executive to preach the gospel particularly to the peoples of overseas countries that travel and especially travel across to new lands among people different in habits, customs, costumes, and national characteristics. Puts joy in people, invigorates the intellectual faculties, uh, furnishes material for diversity of thought, and gives edge and intensity to the perceptions. It runs out the functions of the schoolroom and library. It enlarges life, enriches the mind, removes prejudices, and it is the boon to the weary and the sick and the nerve right professional and businessman right so with that for me the interesting element is um, how travel to new lands then is this platform that allows you to um, invigorate your intellectual curiosity but also it erases the people that are on the ground right so it makes no mention of um, people so how then do we then in the future? So like this is 1927, right? May 1927, how many years later now? Like it's probably close to a century. And um, those people were erased in the history, right? So what are their futures now based off that erasure and based off that displacement? So for me, like the interesting element, especially around the roots is how do we recognize erasure, but how do we take it to kind of propel the way we think about future and the future of us, right? So, with that in mind, like, this is like an interesting phrase that I've been trying to get my hand around, like getting a sense of revisiting the past through sheer materiality of being there, occupying spaces where uh, their forebearers are known or believed to have been. So like, how do you occupy space, right? How do you visit a space where uh, your people are displaced? Or how do you visit a place where your forefathers are di displaced people, right? So within that, like, I feel like builds kind of like a ground for us to reimagine what the future looks like, right? So you go into a space, um, what do you call it? The most, my most favorite building in Stellenbosch, the Prague, and that small white, there's a small white building with like cannons and shit. So like, I don't know if I can say shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, it's really interesting for me because that was a fort that, um, and I was reading some history on that part. So like, it was kind of like the, the last, Port of like uh, defending this new territory, right? So how then does that in itself, right? That act, that building standing there now, 
right, influence how you travel. So when you go there, what does it bring up, right? When you revisit that, like, what do you see, right? Because you go there and it's, yeah, it's a building, but like mentally, um, you see something, right? You see a history, even if you don't understand the history, even if like you've never been there, have never heard of it, the building tells you that, hey, I'm the shit here, kind of. A, so like it's really interesting for me and with that in mind like I'm really interested in uh, what's the name heritage like uh, heritage landmarks and uh, spaces right and this is from inside the Christian Borg castle in Ghana uh, the doors of no return right so people were taken and went through these doors and they never came back. Some never made it wherever they were meant to go. And for me, it's a journey, it's a travel thing. It's a travel journey that they didn't sign up for, right? And uh, travel in its element is really complex and it means different things to different people. So I thought I should share this image looking at how do we then communicate what it means to travel now but also to commemorate right to commemorate and bring visibility to spaces that mean so much and hold so much history to who we are as a people to who we are as a continent and literally like some really painful painful, painful stuff and um, any thoughts any questions any uh, feelings yes yeah, I think it's really interesting if you sort of like unpack like why people travel. Like mm. and even the word travel versus tour versus backpack versus visit. You know, they all have different sort of connotations. And like I've always been interested by like what people see when they go to a foreign place or even if you're in your home territory, so to speak. What do tourists see in your space? Because it's historic moments or monuments, some of them traumatic. Um, so you always see, see tour groups going to like the castle or going to, you know, wherever. And then the other things that kind of like strike me is that sort of, it's either natural beauty or then there's the experience side of things, which is food, the local culture or dance or music or how local people live. But it's, it's actually quite a strange package. And of course, the other thing on the nature of safari under natural beauty, other than waterfalls, people want to see in the context of African animals. But like, I find it like it's a strange question of like why? Because I mean, your quote that you read there, like people do to be alleviated or to de-stress. So that's travel for leisure. But there's another kind of like travel which is maybe linked to the quest for self-knowledge. So you, the the thing of roots is quite interesting because I was once challenged by someone saying like. Why are you not in your home country? Like, what are you doing here? And they were like trying to fathom why. The question they actually asked me is, what is happening in your home country that you are here? So the assumption that I was not in my home country because something bad was happening there, and therefore was. So that's a different kind of travel. So I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm interested by your total unpacking because I kind of thought, oh, well, this is a talk about like happy-go-lucky travel. But I think you're problematizing even the notion of travel. Why do people move from one place to another? Yeah, because like, I think it's yeah. people like move for different things. Yeah. Right? So, and people have been moving since, since right? Mm. So um, 
I was looking now, there's a, there's a part mm. like which specifically talks mm. uh, in this chapter to that mm. around how um, I'm trying to find it, like mm. how in the 1902 mm. there was a problem of few uh, settlers mm. coming into the country, mm. so they had to do a whole campaign. marketing campaign. Yeah to encourage settlers to come into the country because they felt that um, there are few whites, mm. right? So like the earlier century people came because they were targeted to say like this opportunity, etc, etc. But the archive has forgotten people that originally were traveling mm. across uh, the continent. At the beginning of this book, it talks around how the Kruger, when they set up the fence in 19... Zero 01 as the Sabi Game Reserve, mm. right? So you had people on the other side in Maputo, you had people on the other side in Zimbabwe, mm. but now they couldn't mm. go past because now they have said this is a national park, this is a national mm. asset, right? And they've policed how people move mm. and you have to pay a tight ETC. So, like, it's really interesting how that is evolving, but also how we commod commodify. Uh, those experiences, right? So now the people within the area are part of the package, mm -hmm. right? So, like when you go to the Kruger, you cannot go there and not go to a cultural village and get this artistic performance mm -hmm. of Africa mm -hmm. because that's what you paid for, right? Mm -hmm. So, it's interesting for me in that sense, but also it's interesting now how it has evolved from. Uh, here, so like I'll read one uh, part uh, here, which was which was really interesting for me, right? So it's the beginning of this chapter where um, the elites uh, from the ANC were fighting for their rights to travel by train, right? So uh, they couldn't travel by train because they're black, right? But they were fighting for this right, and then they did meetings with whatever. So like I'll just read, I think like it's one, two, three paragraphs, right? Just to illustrate how this struggle, right, as a black body to navigate and move around your own land became policed and um, was used as a way to, and religion comes in to use it as a way to showcase that you're not lazy or something. We are shit like that. So on March 19, 19, 1912, three men called Jacob Bas Sosa, the Minister of Relays in the Union of South Africa, Sefako Mahato, Thomas leaders of the South African Native National Congress, founded six weeks earlier following calls by Pixley Ra Isara Seme for a Native Union to help. Africans fight for their political rights in the new state. The men were there to protest against the ill treatment of Africans by officials in the state-owned South African Railways and Harbour Corporation, which is where South African tourism came from, right? So they came from this one organization, right? And this was the second meeting between a government minister and officials of this new organization. The first meeting had taken place in early March 1912, when a delegation led by SNNC President John Dube, 
met Henry Bolton, the Minister of Native Affairs, to object to a draft squatters bill that threatened to curtail the already limited rights of Africans to land. We could say after James Clifford that these two meetings between SNNC and the government were about roots and roots. Roots concerned to the roots concerned the right of Africans to land. Roots meant their right to travel. Roots and roots spoke directly to two of the primary concerns of elite and non-elite blacks in South Africa in the earlier in the early 20th century. However, historians have ignored the fact that these two meetings took place within weeks of each other. They have tended instead to focus on the land question and to neglect the equally important struggles by Africans in colonial South Africa over the right to free travel. This privilege of roots over roots has blinded scholars to the complex nature of the black experience of the birth of modern South Africa. It is made it has made it difficult for scholars to comprehend fully the significance of events such as the meeting that took place in Cape Town on March 19, 1912. The neglect of the historical significance of that meeting has also made it harder to understand on Africans' own terms, African grievances about their treatment on trains. This grievance is a constant of the 20th century, point a tangled relationship between Africans of different classes and the land. The three men who met Sosa claimed to speak for Africans. In truth, they in truth they spoke for mission-educated uh, elites who wanted to enjoy the trappings of the modern world, such as travel by train, without interference. These elites constituted a small community for whom travel fell outside the dictates of the colonial state and its nascent industrial economy. So like literally you can see that from that, right, this has been the struggle around the industrialization, the trains coming in and going inside to bring out um, raw materials to the ports, but also considering and looking at how these trains also opened up uh, Africa for the natives who could afford it, but they were discriminated against. Right? So you look at that in the past and then you look at that now, how continuously now like, black people are either priced out of certain establishments or are visibly um, discriminated against right, in those establishments. Uh, so, question time again. So, uh, in the light of what's happening now with COVID and everything, like, I thought it would be interesting to look at how we photograph and visualize the post-colonial traveler uh, as an essential tool to guide future actions and policies that could play an even more role in the future of travel, right? So like, it's really important within like, the framework of where we are now with COVID and being stuck and trying to redefine what it means to travel uh, and like, the stay at home, orders, the travel restrictions, and being closed in one space, right? How then does post this, or during this period, like how do we visualize that? What does it mean to go to the shops, for instance? What does it mean to go to the park? What does it mean to go to the nightclub? What does it mean to go to the restaurant? How do we represent that? How do we communicate? How do we... Um, look at 
that as an avenue to build actions and to force legislators or policymakers to consider how we envision, how we visualize, how we see travel happening. So I don't know, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think something that is exciting though, you're talking about how Africans are often priced out of travel within their own country. And that's very true of a lot of the destinations in South Africa. They're very high end, they're, they're basically targeted at the foreign market. And what COVID had to do, be it restaurants in Franschhoek or be it, you know, Kruger Park or whatever, they've now had like been posting a lot of advertisements for the local traveller, like at reduced rates. And I would like to see the post-COVID travel experience being something that maybe has two tiers of rates for a SADC or not even SADC, let's go an African. If you can furnish an African passport or document, you have a rate, an African rate and a, and a foreign rate. Like other countries in the world do this, like in South America, what else? And like, I think that for me, like we want to experience things within our own country and by and large those things are very elite, very, very elite experiences. So that like when you say like how does this impact the future of travel, I would say that's a positive for me. If more Africans are experiencing the good things that their country or neighboring countries have to offer, be it whatever, like Vic Falls, I mean that wasn't really market that was marketed to people abroad. Oh yes. Vic Falls in yeah. travel is part of South Africa by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the Akhaban Rovers, like yeah. for I grew up because I like nature, but so I grew up watching a lot of like uh, animal documentaries across the African continent, right? And I've got a friend who works in um, uh, in Kiza, in KZN, in the game reserve, and she's this sort of sort of like community liaison between the game reserve and the uh, the, the villagers mm -hmm. that live around the park. And their role is to get outside of the national park and go to you know like these rural schools and teach kids about animals and whatever. They never come to the park. Mm -hmm. She has to go outside the park, mm. right, to teach them about when you see a rhino that is trained outside the park, please are better, so these animals are important. As if people don't have indigenous knowledge of why these animals are important already, right? They are part of our totems. Mm. They are actually part of our identities, mm. you know? So I think this kind of like conservation is now also the result of, you know, like uh, a particular group of people. So then the, 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 the logic is like, we need high-end tourists who will pay so that we can repair our fences that divide the park and the people. We need high-end tourists who can come and pay so that we will have a elite group of people who are going to move around protecting the rhino. Now, people move around, you know, like there was a whole campaign in South Africa right now, a few years ago, save the rhino, save the rhino. 
How the fuck am I going to be interested in seven right if I've never seen one? So, so I think I think you know so it's, it's again this little divide and then the logic comes out of not making sense because suddenly we are like oh we have to be allies in protecting this thing but the rhino is now actually a, the property it's like your car you know people own rhinos people own elephants it's private property you know, and I think there's a question around also these things can somebody really own a rhino on the African continent like this is mine you know so these are just to, to, to complicate um, things with that, like, um, so, because for me, like, also, it's just a question of um, hunters versus poachers, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, poachers are people that stay in the community and yeah. have been hunting for a long time, and then like, you've got another thing, so like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah. But uh, just to read something, right? So, it's called from crawl natives to squatters to resident natives, right? The Sabi Game Reserve was founded in part on the assumption that Africans were inherently bad for wildlife. Africans were considered primitives who knew nothing about the sporting codes followed by Europeans uh, but not boar hunters. So when Stevenson Hamilton, right? Uh, so this is the guy that uh, Skokuza, the town in uh, the Kruger National Park is named after. Uh, when uh, Stevenson came upon African homestead in September and October 1903 during his inspection tour of the Singwitzi Game Reserve proclaimed by the Transvaal Administration in May 1903, his inclination was to expel them from their lands. He had, after all, got rid of more than 2,000 Africans living in the Sabi Game Reserve between August 1902 and August 1903. So like, just to say with your point, like, it's, it's this thing like where uh, people are thought to not understand nature, but they are within nature, they grew up within nature, and there's this new uh, government that then is saying that we know better than you, and we will police and show how you guys uh, interact with the state. Um, yes, so uh, the next phase of the chat, I don't know if anyone has any other comments or questions uh, can ask at the back. Um, what can you talk about the COVID passes or the vaccine passes mm. and how that might change travel quite a bit, especially for people who can't afford to like, vaccinate themselves and their whole family? And how that would yeah change the groups of people. But vaccines are free. Are there? Yes. Sorry, I can't have one. Hey, I'm going to get a vaccine. I'm going to get a vaccine. I'm going to get a
Yeah, like so different countries have currently uh, accept different vaccines. So like mm-hmm. if you have the Sinopharm or the Sputnik or whatever, some countries won't allow you because they want you to have their um, uh, Pfizer or J&J, whatever it is, Moderna. And if you go to the other side in the East, it's the same. They don't want those ones, they want their own. So like it's really interesting space where we are and uh, I feel there's a lot of opportunity uh, for us to to talk more and see how best uh, I don't know like it's it's, it's complicated like, mm-hmm. so, yeah. But I mean, isn't this? I think the opportunities that people are, sorry are not yeah. able to travel abroad, so they have to travel locally. I know people that they now do Airbnbs. Like, even just to a different part of Cape Town. Like, they might live in southern suburbs. They just go to the weekend for Simonstown because you live there like a local, you enjoy the local things there. And it's like, I think, in some ways, I also feel that, okay, parks and safaris were went hand in hand with colonial occupation. So the whole history of that is a, a colonial history of removing people to create sanctuaries for wildlife. But that's one kind of tourism. But there's another, I think tourism itself is completely changed. Like people don't want the 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 village dance reenacted. Like I think that You'll be surprised. Well okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe people who reside on the continent do not want that. It makes people very uncomfortable. Like so maybe there's a whole thing of like how does catering for a local market totally change what you offer? Because what you want then is to know about the best like Ethiopian restaurant in Cape Town or where can I eat good Ghanaian food in Stellenbosch, Mark? You still need to take us there. Or, you know, that now is where the experience is at. It's not about, like, seeing some cringe-worthy, weird reenactment as if you're a Swiss person or whatever. Because I think that's the shift for me, is that who is your audience? Who is looking? And who is experiencing? Because you're going to offer very different things in. I think, I think there's an issue. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. I think, sorry. I think many people love to travel as the answer for experiences mm. and like enrichment. Mm. Um, so most people I know were like, I'm not, I'm not sure if you know like San Polo or, um, you know, I actually met these people and they told me travel, they love to travel mm. for their career as building experiences and connections with the world. Mm. And I think there's a beautiful silver lining in everything. Now with COVID, I mean, I've never really traveled my country before. Mm. And it's kind of forced all of us to indulge back in our own culture. And enrich within ourselves again. And that's beautiful, I think, for, for people to really dive back into the history of their own like their own past. So in travel, there's a new birth of the new traveler that's evolving within all of us. And that old, you know, the old nomad where you would take a backpack and a camera and you would go make all YouTube videos and see that that's kind of faded away. And now people are looking, you know, to these cool road trip YouTube channels and there's a new traveler that's being born and it's being born within the like birth of COVID, which is beautiful. I think it's yeah, it's it's complex and um, I think what Annabelle you're saying is is very interesting because I think on one end of the spectrum we've got this need or you know like of tourism uh, to really think around you know the domestic markets. But what do we also mean around the domestic market? Because we don't we have to disaggregate this. So you do a lot of work. We visit Stellenbosch, for example. Mm. You know, now the Germans cannot come here because of you know, COVID and whatever. 
when people say visit Telembush, people who work in that office, when they say visit, visit Telembush, what kind of person do they have in mind that they want to visit Telembush? Is it the is it the Johannesburg, you know, you know, black person who is working in Sanchon, or is it visit Telembush? You want the Germans to come and the people from the you know the Dutch to come because they bring you know forex kind of thing. Or is, you know, so has that changed? Has that shift changed? Because it, spe it speaks to what you spoke, I think, a little bit later, like um, earlier. Would people be comfortable if tomorrow we go to Russian Frederick across the road here, and you find you know, all the people who are doing wine testing are black? Or does that are they even as a wine farmer, are they comfortable with taking that money and being like, this is how we're going to represent ourselves? We are actually finding this. So they're actually going to be like, yo, what's happening here? I think it's too drastic a shift. So I think. Even we have to be honest, you know, for these markets, for these things, um, you know, you have to, there's still this kind of like um, uh, ingrained mentality around who is the ideal traveler mm -hmm. and who is the ideal, you know, person for this, uh, for this, uh, for this restaurant, for this, uh, for this experience, for this five-star lodge, mm -hmm. um, for this kind of place. So even when I mean, you're talking about the Victoria Falls, mm -hmm. that's why the price tag is actually Quite high, maybe just um, another little story. Somebody was speaking about Botswana. Mm -hmm. Botswana, when it attained independence, it opened its national parks to the public, mm -hmm. to the whole population. So people were going there for weekends and weekends, you know, people in cars and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know for leisure. And then Botswana was like, ah, this image is not really the image that we want to do. So I think it was something, mm -hmm. let's say, if you want to say 200 or 150 runs for people to get into the national park. And then in came in a new president who was like, I think we can gain more here and actually maybe position ourselves as an international kind of like a, a really hot spot for tourism. So from like 150 runs to get into a national park, they just enacted a law that says it's now 3,000 to get into a national park. That then eliminated the domestic market. And then of course, I can fly from the UK because 3,000 in pounds is nothing. So they literally turned their whole, you know, uh, nature or whatever into like a properly, literally like we want international mm. tourism. So you hardly find somebody who is living in Botswana mm. who is able to afford to go to the Okabango, for example, because it's ridiculous the prices that are there, you know. So like just to comment quickly, like I feel in terms of audience, right, what has happened, the shift mm. is how people and most destination marketing organizations, most um, tourism operators, most guides, most restaurants are thinking around survival more than anything else. So they're at a point where now they're trying to figure who their future customer is, right? But within that, they are struggling to build um, a proper like identity or like a user profile to say like uh, we are interested in exploring uh, young people that are interested to learn about culture or young people that are interested to learn about wine, right? And um, going back to like the issue of cost, you look at um, Rwanda, uh, Uganda with the gorillas and uh, the permit like a thousand dollars or something like that, right? So like, it's, and they've taken it down to 500 US dollars, but like locals are still not going mm -hmm. because like, like I'll spend that. But it wasn't that, sorry to interrupt, but that decision was made also because of the sensitivity 
of the area. So how do you limit people? So how do you still maximize your national treasure of gorillas? <laughs> but how do you ensure that you get the money in to protect them? I'm using lots of air quotes here. Um, but at the same time, you can't have a thousand people a day going in there because they're going to get totally stressed out. And, you know, so I thought that the gorillas in particular was one where they took that limited high-end route because it was the only way they could enable that, you know, and they saw it as a national treasure, as an asset. But, like, I mean, the wildlife is one thing, you know. I mean, like, what's been interesting to me is to see how the use of a free national park, Table Mountain, has totally shifted in the last year. Now, to me, that's the first time that I feel that the people who are using that mountain are a broad spectrum across class and race. And that shift happened because of COVID. I mean, it's still got a long way to go, but there's definitely a shift, and it's visible. Even the number of cars, you can't even get near, like the old tiny little parking lot. So to me, that's, so maybe we need to look at a mixed model where some things are just free, all access, and others are like the gorillas. I think for me, it's not even um, just to get another day. Mm. I think it's partly because of COVID. Mm. But to be honest, I think it's partly because of this uh, role that I like very much, the, the influencer. Yeah. Because the influencer is the middle class yeah. person who never had access but who's got a smartphone. And they go to the places that they were traditionally not allowed to go, mm. and they document it, mm. and they say, this guys, this is really cool. Mm. When they're in Cape Town, mm. this mountain is free. Mm. You can actually come on this mountain and go on this route, yeah. and that, that, that. And that person speaks a language that is much more palatable to a different audience. Yeah. So that when, we, when people begin to see somebody who looks like them speaking about these spaces, mm. then they're like, this is possible, I can do this. Mm. I didn't know that wine tasting is 80 runs. Yeah. You know, I thought it was 5,000 runs because <laughs> I'm excluded by the people who usually go, okay, now next time I'm going to mm. also go to wine tasting. Mm. I'm also going to go to Table Mountain because it's actually free. Mm. And I think because people have been stressed out within their homes and within their flats and then obviously spending so much time, screen time, mm. you then are likely to encounter this kind of like influencers who then pull you into these spaces. You're like, mm. I'm actually in Cape Town, I've never been to, you know, to, 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 to Table Mountain and so mm. on and so forth. I mean, Tando, you are in this class. How many people from Kaimandi have been on that mountain? Very few. Very few. Mm. It's free. Mm. But there's something that just, that distance that just says, mm. Mm. You know, it's a bridge too far. Mm. But then, if you see Tando and his influencers and he's walking his dog there, you're like, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think the role of the influencer as a marketing, mm. um, you know, is almost like as a free, and now they're being, you know, monetized, right? Mm. Then, if I'm Kruger, then I'm saying, wow, there's an influencer who's posting about Kruger all the time. Maybe I need to get them into my marketing team. Mm. Because this person is able to communicate and to. to, to to, to give uh, the, the, the visual messaging mm. to a different kind of audience, which I need in order to survive. Mm. So, so now I don't care where the money is coming from, mm. as long as it's coming. Mm. Because like, that segues way into the next part of the talk, which is roots and mode of memory. And I was particularly interested in exploring how uh, roots, so like how we package things, right? So how I'm packaging things and how those packages kind of like uh, follow a narrative or kind of like uh, tell a story, right? So, uh, travelers engage in a variety of commemorative activities through, during their travels. Some of these activities are highly structured components of package tours, 
uh, apparently purposefully designed by organizers to contemporize participants' time with that of their forebearers, and that's merging the past and the present, right? So like looking at the history, like I'm interested during my time in Stellenbosch to explore the history of the wine farms and how they came to be and how we can enjoy wine but still uh, engage in the history of where this land came from, 1652 best wine and like they just didn't get into a land and find it empty. They had to displace people but the wine is nice. Right, so like it's it's kind of like those things where like I'm like okay like it's, I can't literally go there and be angry like like the wine is nice like we're gonna enjoy it but like I'm interested in looking at how we have conversations around what it means to be in that particular space and I shared this video right so this image so it's an image of people going into like a slave river where slaves had their last bath before they went onto the ships, right? So like they had to hold each other and they do this commemorative thing on package tours in Ghana where like you go through the journey, what it meant to actually go into the ships, right? So like you go in here, if you want to get in the river, you have the last thing and then you go back to the doors of no return, right? So like it's interesting for me how these experiences are being packaged and also like what type of stories we want to tell around the past and the future, right? Because this will then definitely influence how we think about uh, the slave trade if I've experienced that uh, really packaged, yes. So I have a question for you, like, as a digital creator yourself, um, what is your idea and what's your goal of telling your stories? Like, do you want to unpack a true story and reveal it to the world by your videos? Or your, like, what is your, what's your whole purpose of when you go to a place, what are you, what are you trying to unpack? Do you want to unpack them around? I'm going to have a good time, bro. <laughs> you just want to share, like, 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 the first thing, I want to enjoy myself. Like, I don't want to go to a space and be angry. I just want to go and have a good time and engage with uh, the people who are there before everything else, right? And then within that, I get to learn more about the space. And then, then I get to, like, feel like, do I... Uh, record this or do I have a conversation or do I create a content piece because like I might go and the person might not be comfortable with me shooting right so like I have to be sensible to that um, so for me the biggest thing is enjoyment number one uh, learning number two and connecting right so like the more I connect the more I learn right about the space even if I don't document it online, like I can write a note in my journal to say one, two, three, four, five, six, and I don't put it digitally, right? Because it's thing, but like also understanding and going back to your question to say like, what do I want out of it, right? So like for me, the goal is to build a database of um, places, experiences, people, things that people can do wherever you are whatever your interest, right? So, um, going everywhere, I don't, like, if you invite me, come to have drinks, go wherever, I'm not going to say no, I'm going to come and I'm going to learn something. And I'm going to say it in my journal, like, uh, on 20 October, uh, I went to uh, the bar with Mike and had a great time, but, like, there was that uh, waiter who had poor service, right? And because of that, we didn't leave a tip. Right? That's my review someone else who's going to come after me
thinking like, ah, there was, they had a great time, but there's a horrible wait time, right? So like this, those kind of things, my biggest thing is to try and build an archive and build uh, a travel log of people traveling the continent, but also reviewing and sharing their experiences. So you want to share your experiences before, yes. so people have another opportunity to yes. kind of indulge in those experiences you did. Yes, to try and motivate them to, to at, at least in the future, to want them to say like, okay, like I deserve to go and taste wines in Stellenbosch at some point in my life, right? Uh, with that, like, I'm probably going to learn about how the wine is made, what type of soils are important for this type of wine, or uh, I can go around, look at the public art, and learn more about what it means for the city and what it represents, right? So like this, for me, the important thing is learning and documenting and archiving. Um, oh yes. So with that, so like there's like I think the most important thing like also is to realize that the different travelers, right? Others are spontaneous, sometimes anticipated individual moments like during trip as lived and as told. Uh, as told, I never accepted it. They're never the same. Of like, like what I was trying to say now. Like the experience is never the same. Like the way I might experience Okavango is different to how you would experience it. The way I would experience uh, traveling in a taxi is different to how you would experience it. So like travel is kind of like different for everyone, and they're different stories. And it's really important to capture those. And. Uh, with this, like I'm trying to move now to look at narratives and uh, how we document and going back to a question around how we, as digital content creators, how we create content and uh, travelers' narrative of these activities provide a window into their subsequent assessment of the experience and in its place within their evolving relationship to their collective past. How then do these travelers make their journey every time, right? So, what you were saying, like, so for me, it's all about learning, but like, how uh, do I make this journey through time? So, like, I'm learning about Stellenbosch, but like, I'm learning Stellenbosch now. Stellenbosch has a history, Stellenbosch has a future. And then, how do we kind of like move between that through these lessons? But don't you think nowadays everyone's a content creator? Because something that really struck me is going to India 10 years apart. The first time I went was pre-internet, pre-Instagram, pre-all that stuff. And for me, the difference was so marked. Like, you know, you might in Jasima get like rooftop terraces where people would chill in the evening and like have sundowns on the meal. In the past, everyone was talking to each other, like talking to past people. Hey, what did you do today? I did this. Oh, you must go and do the camel thing. It's incredible. Or like... Um, you know, whatever. Or journaling. People were like writing in their journals, looking out at the beautiful view. When I went back 10 years later, everyone is like doing this. Or on laptops, updating their status and like either blogging or Facebooking. Or... And I was like, this is a fundamental shift in how people are experiencing the journey in time. Because in many ways, the constant updating of each day or whatever through digital media, through sharing it globally, I presume, with people around the world. I was really fascinated by that. I was kind of wondering, like even when people arrive at a place, the first thing they do is they take a picture. They don't even like look anymore. And I mean, like I know this is an old phenomenon, even Susan Sontag wrote about it, but 
I do feel that there has been a shift in, like, why do people travel? Do they travel just to create the content? Like, I don't know, it's sort of a really, for me it was very different. There was very little interaction among people traveling. Everyone was on their own mission. Yeah. It's like, when you go to a place, right, um, you see very little, like, actual content creators that tell you the full story, the full mm -hmm. narrative or something. You know, most time when we see travel videos, we see skydiving, riding mm -hmm. on camels, mm -hmm. always this adventure packed, beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. But very few content creators actually showcase like what traveling in a certain country is all about. Mm -hmm. Whether it be the endless bus rides to the beautiful destination, mm -hmm. or you don't ever see that narrative. And that's why I feel like there's such a need for storytelling within content creating. Mm -hmm. um, and this whole digital age, like it's it's literally like we're so like we get content shoved in our throats every single day. Um, and the need for good storytelling is so out there, no one's really doing it. So this, this whole shift that you're doing and telling the process of past experiences is so cool. Just getting the whole like, full story or something. There's this thing um, that someone said, like, it's like when you're, like a game where you say, would you do this if this and this and this, or wouldn't you? And the one thing was, um, would you go travel if you weren't allowed take a phone or a camera or document mm. it in any way, mm. would you even go? Mm. And it was such a weird question, but it made so many people like mm. at the table just like, mm. <laughs> like would I go? <laughs> is it even worth it? And that's just crazy. Mm. <laughs> Which is like, I feel the shift, right, is mm. smartphones and access. Right, so you look at pre people wanted to document. I feel people wanted to document, mm. but you either had to buy like a, a huge film or like whatever, and then that was out of range. And then like you, would, that's why like uh, most landmarks had like photographers who would like mm. do instant photos and stuff like that. And the shift is you have two types of content creators, right? You have people that create content for themselves. Mm. So I'm creating content to uh, build. A memory library, which I think like was roots like a mode of memory, right? I'm building a memory library for people that come after me to see that ah, my grandfather, great grandfather went to 300 countries, right? And this is the archive of where they've been. This is their experience. This is what they learned, right? And then that educates you in the future. So, and some other people are interested in sharing their travels and making those public and kind of I have one video later on which also like looks around uh, what he was talking about in terms of like moving outside of the the cool content right so like there's cool content and then there's like really uh, everyday content of showcasing different experiences different places and that's the type of content that I'm interested in because I feel that's content that educates you about a particular place without taking anything away from the activities and the cool things to do. But Trevor, then I've got another question for you, because it goes back to your surf spot thing. So there's stuff that locals enjoy doing, that's kind of like the locals' best kept secret. And then you get some influencer who comes in and like reveals the beauty of the secret spot. And then you've got buses coming in there with 20 million people. 
And like, so there for me, the things that now everyone's on the hunt, I remember even the snobbery around, like people like, oh, I'm not a backpacker, I'm a traveler, you know? So like, I'm on some like special elite, like I've got the down low, like I know where the really cool spots are, I'm not gonna share it with you, because I've done my time, I've been in this country for longer than you have. Maybe I can speak the local language, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so like, there are these layers and layers to travel and why people travel, because there's this, this weird thing of like, you want to get the authentic experience. But I also feel there's a cost to local people with that authentic experience. And it's, it's a conundrum, I think, for people like you who want to reveal the authentic experience. So how are you going to navigate that? <laughs> the, next yeah. thing, the next thing with COVID yeah. is we don't have the big buses anymore. Yeah. Right. yeah. So like, it's really kind of like killed the big 20, 30, mm. 50 group travel, right? So like everything is going really small, customized and intimate. Yeah. Uh, but also it's, I feel like it's important to showcase these local attractions. Mm. The only problem is then what we're talking about earlier with the Okabango and mm. what, what, where then the owners and decision makers then are like, oh, we have uh, Americans coming, mm. so let's bump up the price or something. Mm. Then that takes the locals out of that space. Like what I'm trying to do and research through my trip now is to look at how do we build sustainable local businesses mm. that are local first, whether you have a tourist or not, the business is sustainable. The business supports people that stay within the community because uh, the more people use that, the local economy grows, right? So the businesses need to have a local first approach, like mm. make sure that your daily customers are happy. You're not going to have, like as you've experienced now, like you're not going to have the big mm. buses and the travelers and the things for the next probably two, three years, mm. right? Up until, I don't know. So like it's just like how do businesses on the ground customize and be local first. Do you find it interesting how social media has kind of pushed us to make the IP or travel video? So when you're browsing through like the reels and stuff, and you see what obviously Instagram has like an algorithm. Mm. So if your video doesn't conform to you know, the ideal travel video, it doesn't get pushed to the top of people's feed. So do you find it interesting how, as a creative today, you kind of need to follow what, like where do you post your media? You post on YouTube, on Instagram, kind of have to conform to their rules in order to get your content out there for the world to see? Or, like, what do you think about that, that shift or that, that kind of, like, ideal video? So I think the, especially, like, with social, TikTok, etc., the, if the content is good, and right, if the content is good and you have a community that uh, appreciates the content, it's going to tick off, right? And, uh, the biggest thing is not being obsessed about being viral, but uh, being obsessed about telling a good story because that will get you uh, the views and everything else. The focus is uh, making a viral video and trying to hack the algorithm. Like I feel like you can, but then like uh, long, like in the long term, like it's just gonna you're not gonna build a community and people that resonate with the content. So the fundamental around any content creation or building content or publishing content is do you understand who your audience is, do you understand what your audience wants and are you creating something that touches them to actually go and be like okay like this is really dope and like and 
uh, do everything. So the fundamental for me is, are you communicating what you believe in and does your community believe in what you believe in? understanding your market exactly mm -hmm. and who are you communicating this to mm -hmm. and what do you want to send to the people because I might view the video that you made in a different way than Mike mm -hmm. so but if you know exactly who you're targeting with this video that you make because when you're traveling with your phone or camera or whatever it's, it's like inviting people in your journey mm -hmm. who are not there at that particular time so when you keep if I'm not in that space and I'm watching this video, I should feel like I was there. That's the point of taking the videos or show, oh, this, da, 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 so that I can have the idea of one day I want to go there. So you're unlocking that mind in me that, okay, this place is beautiful and I, w I wish I could go there. But, but you need to have a way on how do you communicate that to your audience. So it's a matter of understanding who, do you, who I am talking to. If I'm talking to someone from Kayamandi, how do I reach people from Kayamandi? Do I post it on YouTube? Will they have access on YouTube? Do I post it on Facebook? Will they have access on that? So it's a, it's a matter of understanding exactly where do you want this uh, message, uh, information to go to, and how do you portray that information? Yeah, because like it's content is not just shooting. Content mm -hmm. is uh, distribution. Content is production. Content is insight. Content is reporting. Right. So like after you post the content. Who views it? How do they view it? How long do they view it? Why do they view it? And uh, what time do they view it? So like it's really a process. It's not like you shoot and then like it dies. Like you, it's a process. Like it's a, it's a long process. But uh, yes. So which then leads me to sharing the experience of being an eyewitness, which is what we've been talking about, right? So how do we visually create content? How do we tell stories that visually? Capture what you see, right? Capture your, um, your interest. Your interest. Capture your uh, story. Capture your fascinations. Capture your questions, right? So, like, how do we do that? And uh, the various ways in which people and places around Africa are represented and documented in popular media have an immense impact on how tourists imagine and anticipate future destinations, even through tourism discourses take a variety of forms, visual imagery seems to have the biggest influence on shaping pre-trip uh, fantasies. So like this moves even like from individual uh, people outside of the tourists. Like if you remove the word tourist and like how people imagine um, where they're going, like even if it's going to the grocery store, like you have a mental image of like I'm going to the grocery store. If you're going to uh, Table Mountain, if you're going to a wine farm, like there is something that in the past has influenced you and visually it has been that whether through TV and now through social media and the influences and stuff so I feel like we at a point where like really as eyewitnesses 
and this is like a really interesting video that takes us through an eyewitness account and the video is called um, What Does a Guinea-Bissau Country Site Look Like? And uh, just before I play it, like, do you guys have an idea or like what it looks like and if anyone can share what they think Guinea-Bissau looks like in the rural What's mental image? Or make a mental image and then after I play the video, we can talk more around what you're thinking and what you saw.
But then I actually started realizing that storytelling is one of the most powerful means we put into any visual script. Whatever you photography, videography, if you can't tell a story, it's got no, it's got no meaning. It's beautiful. But as a creator, it's like like you said, there are many different creative groups and content creators that come together to formulate you know, different ideas. But telling a story of something that's visually impactful to you, something you resonate with, it's quite beautiful. Like, you need to know how to tell that story. I think, I think there's a uniqueness in terms of uh, the different kind of stories that are available. So you asked us what do we think about that video, and it's always interesting that the representation of the African continent always starts with the kind of like, you know, this, this natural beauty, you know, the Victoria Falls, the Masai Mara, and all these kinds of things. And what's interesting is that we took this group to Devon, right? So if you think, before we went to Devon, how would you represent Devon? You know, you would think this is the home of, or the capital of the KwaZulu Natal, so you're expecting to see Zulus, dance and things like that. But Nina is here, your project was around Art Devil, you know, and how usually people would not think like Devon is the Art Devil capital of the world. You know, you gravitate towards the easy things, which is like the Zulu dances and whatever, but what that also tells you is that you can't tell a story that you haven't experienced yourself. Mm -hmm. So for you to tell that story, you have to get out of your comfort zone, to walk, to go to these spaces, and then discover something that is, you can see from your unique perspective that you then are like, I think this is a story that has not been told, that I need to tell. Because I think what happens is that we just fall back to the narratives that, that have been pushed over and over and over again. Um, and we, we, we fall onto those uh, yet there are so many complexities and so many other stories that have been told that if we expose ourselves within those cultural setups and within those spaces and within those cities, then you begin to see a completely, you know, um, a different story that you can then present. And then, like, what type of stories do you guys think um, people like me who are in travel need to be telling? And uh, how do we get to tell and collaborate with people like you guys that are creating content, that are creating strategies, that are building uh, careers. How do we tell stories with you and how do we collaborate with you guys? Anyone? Um, one thing that I just think a lot about these like travel bloggers and stuff, it's important mm -hmm. to find like a niche. Like I find often these like travel bloggers like go to a country and they want to cover everything, mm -hmm. from like the art to the design to the food. Like it's almost like almost got like Anthony Bourdain, he was like one of my favorite things to watch when I was a kid with my parents. Like he's very specifically engaging with food, it was a really beautiful vehicle to explore a place, or someone that maybe is into music and like specifically goes to African countries just to like explore the music scene and like what's happening in Nigeria and that scene, what, what, what's happening in that scene, like maybe finding a niche and not trying to cover everything. It's like a cool way to think about it. I was going to say, like, the other thing for me that's become increasingly problematic is, like, the thing of, like, supporting and growing local businesses and local industries. And, like, I think the thing is that it's, like, you don't want to pump products, but rather, like, this is the person who took me to this place. Here, like, almost like hooking people up to the person who's going to walk you through Kaya Mandi. Like, well, I don't know what it is. Like, I often feel like I think tourism is going away from the package tour. But I think there has to also be a thing of like, that you can't just rock up in Durban and know where to go. Like it's a thing of like, could there be a system of like, this is your local one-on-one -on -one guide. Like a lot of people don't like guides or you want to do it on your own. But yeah, I don't know. I think there's, there's so many sort of like layers to like, 
is also navigating the ethics of, you know, is, are you wanting, yeah, or like, you know, knowing about little Gujarat now, like, I will go back to that place and eat their food every time I'm in Durban, but like, that is, I, I don't know, I think that's the kind of thing that travel blogging also needs to do, is to genuinely, because I also, you know, the experience of like, you know, there used to be the lonely planet, like, you know, the Bible of Southeast Asia, whatever, but it really angered some people, because if they didn't make it into that thing, they were finished. You know, it's like, and now we live in a world of multiple lonely planets, everyone's blog or whatever, whatever. In a way it's great, because it means that there's more sort of diversity or there's more ability, but for me, it's always like that, that word of mouth recommendation that for me is still king. So if your blog as a content creative, I feel like I like this guy, I trust, I like the way he travels, because there are many ways to travel, you know? So I like the fact that he's doing local transport. Like, then I want to follow him because that's his thing. And I think it's a thing of, like, is this someone I would trust? Okay, I think. Um, so um, my name is Trevor again. Uh, I run a company called Hello Africa Travel. Uh, we make it easy for people to plan and book their African travels. And we just relaunched two days ago uh, with about eight tours that we have curated and we're in the process of onboarding more tour operators and more people who have different uh, products. We are currently, I'm traveling uh, Southern Africa for the next year. I'm in three months, three months of my travels now. I've been to Sutherland, Ceres, Cape Town and I'm in Stellenbosch for a couple of weeks and then doing a festival in Sechville and going up the coast. And I'm really, really interested in collaborating with uh, people that are interested in telling different stories, people that are interested in going on our packages and people that uh, we work with and tell the stories of those uh, packages and share their memories of those packages. Uh, if you go on the website, there's a link to sign up to a travel program. You travel for free with your stipend and you live your best life. So literally excited about the journey that I'm on and really grateful to spend my morning here talking to you guys, learning and sharing what I'm passionate about and also exploring what the future of that looks like and trying and engaging with you guys to give me a different perspective and to learn. I hope um, it was uh, as beneficial to you guys as it was to me and I appreciate you. Think, um, I'm around uh, for the rest of the day. Questions, questions now, and I'm here. I go. that you can book on your, by yourself or if you meet someone who recommends something that's not 
included in what you book through us and we also uh, have other stuff on the website so like we're always giving recommendations we're always recommending other people that do better jobs at uh, showing you Stellenbosch than I would because I don't know Stellenbosch uh, so what I would say is wherever you are like it's really nice to use a trusted platform but always be flexible to look and try new things I think for me, uh, it's not even about the platforms that you use, but it's also about your attitude. Um, because travel, you know, especially if you're just traveling outside your your comfort zone, your even places within the same city, right? Uh, there's a difference between traveling from Central Stellenbosch to go to Karamani, mm -hmm. and vice versa. So I think your attitude towards difference uh, really uh, is central in around uh, your experience and the spaces and the doors that are going to open to you or the spaces and the doors that are going to remain shut to you, your attitude, because how do you do or how do you deal with encountering difference? Um, you have to let go, I think, if you're if you somebody who, are, who is in trouble, I think you have to let go and actually get a kind of like freedom to be like, I'm just going to almost be like a leaf in a river and just experience it all as it comes. But I think it's very difficult for, for people to let go of their um, you know, own positionality in the world in terms of how they see the world. So the moment you encounter difference, your attitude towards difference then you know, um, really influences your, your travel. So I think a, a very lax attitude and this attitude of just taking it all in because in understanding that you're, whoever you are and whatever your cultural values values or whatever your ways of seeing the world is just one out of a multiplicity. In travel, by traveling you're trying to, to, to say, to understand the complexity of the world through time, right, through past, present and future. And you are just one, a one kind of like atom within this huge sphere of other atoms. So when you encounter other atoms, then what, what, what is your attitude towards them? You know, you just have to embrace it all and be like, this is what the world is. I mean, I'm privileged enough to have the time and maybe even the money <laughs> to be exposed to other ways of being and seeing and doing things in the world. And this is this is the, that's the essence of travel, right? That's why you have left your place because there's a mundanity within where you're coming from that you're like, I want to go somewhere else where my mind and my brain is going to be wild. So when you get when you get wild, then you can't resort back to your default position of the space that you're coming from. I think. That has been my my thing, and it is serving me well. But you have to find your own thing, I think. But I think, like, when you walk through, like, I think everyone was, like, continue. Uh, they were pretty much two or three words yeah. everywhere. Um, but when you walk through there, they often take you to, like, one of the very oversaturated places mm. where you expect to go. But when you go travel that, like, you want to go into, like, the realizing the experience of culture. I feel like that's what a lot of travel companies don't offer you. You have to kind of do it for yourself. Yeah, like it depends which travel companies, like with us, like we'll take you to the rural areas, we'll take you to the, the places that the traditional companies wouldn't take you because they can only take you to Cape Town and see Table Mountain and the waterfront kind of vibes. But we'll take you wherever. Just say, and then we'll plan take you to the rural areas and show you everything you want to see and more and things that you didn't know exist. So like I think it's like Mike said, uh, be free, flow, 
and appreciate um, everything. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Sonia. Thanks, Adrian. Do you have any questions? Oh, yes. We forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> you breaking up? Okay, cool. Sonia, are you good? Yeah. Cool. Okay, thanks guys. Done all the big work for the studies, and yeah. And then the other option 